start using cutting-edge warp speed 5G technology with your cell phone. Let me tell you about my friends at MobileMobile.io. They have an ultra-fast 4G LTE and 5G network that covers 99% of Americans. So they've got you covered everywhere. Think about it for a moment. You have the opportunity to take a test drive for 10 days with unlimited talk, text, and premium data. What is premium data? Premium data is an allotment of a cellular data that you receive from a higher priority on the network. You won't get throttled like you will with some of those, well, non-brand service providers. To find out more information, all you have to do is go to mobilemobile.io. That's mobilemobile.io to start your 10-day free trial. We are streaming live from the Safety FM Roadshow now. This episode of the broadcast and the podcast is brought to you by Safety Focus Moments. They're consultants that want to help you get the safety culture you've been looking for. For more information, go to safetyfocusmoments.com. Well, hello and welcome to Safety FM, and we are coming to you live from the High End Regency on International Drive in good old Orlando, Florida. And I have the privilege of being with Dr. Todd Lusheen. How are you? I'm great. I'm, thank you for coming to see me here. <laughs> well, no, it was actually one of these great experiences that, I mean, I caught that you were in town. and I was like, hey, we definitely need to meet up and see what we can do and have a conversation. So I appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule because you're here for important meeting meetings and I'm over here just talking and yapping right away. Yeah, isn't it fortunate that I post everything I do on LinkedIn? Well, some people like that and some people don't. I think it was great. I was like, is he in Florida or is he not in Florida? And I was like, this is going to be a perfect opportunity for us to have a conversation. So, as you are here, as you are where you've already been able to be tortured one time before on actually being on here on the Safety FM show. I almost called it the wrong show for a second there. But I wanted to follow up on our conversation because there was a lot of good insight that came out in regards of what you're teaching to your students, the different things that you've been doing. And since then, we had a conversation that you were coming up with your own safety consulting business. <laughs> and then we actually had a conversation that maybe at one point you might have the idea or interaction of wanting to become a safety podcaster. So how have you decided to go down that path now? Well, I'd like to take it in two different directions. First and foremost... Uh, is this sound coming in okay? Yeah, just if you if you flip it over just that general direction where that blue is going towards you. Oh, that's that, what you Okay, thank you. That way it will sound a little <laughs> bit better. We'll edit that out, right? <laughs> uh, what I want to do is provide more of the beginner type information. I feel like there's a lot of great podcasts out there that like Todd Cochran's, you know, it's very advanced stuff. Um I see a need for someone to go back to the basics and explain it to people who are part-time safety professionals. So we're talking the HR people, the uh, supervisors, the floor managers, foremen, whatever it might be. And because that's what I'm teaching students. So why don't I convert what I'm teaching to students into something that can be consumable in short podcasts for people who are just out there practicing so they can listen to me when they're driving into work, when they're eating lunch, when they're at their desk. And if I can guide them to creating an effective safety program just through podcasting, we can save lives and save company money. That's the way it should be. 
I don't want to hold it to myself. I want to share it. So as you're seeing this, and being as you actually have direct access to what I would consider the target audience, which is millennials, do you see that this needs to be in more consumable sizes? And I'm talking between like the five to 10 minute podcast, because that's a lot of the complaints that I hear from certain people that say that some of the podcasts are too long, especially when you start getting 30 minutes or above. I've also heard some people say, that might attract some of the older generation and nothing against that because of course it's a large target audience regardless of how you look at it but when you're interacting with millennials is it more along the lines of the five to ten minutes or even at the five minute mark is it too long well what i've been taught as a professor is try to keep your lecture recorded lectures to under under 15 minutes i usually shoot for 12 but what you just described is exactly what i want to target and that is to do some micro learning that i will lay a foundation or a format for a lesson and then I'll record it in smaller chunks and they can consume the chunks consecutively or go back or just come back to a certain aspect of it. And I think that'll be more attractive to a wider range of people because maybe somebody who's been in for a few years just wonders, am I doing it right? And they see that I've got some intro or background information. They don't need that. They can skip that. They can go right to you know, number three or number four and then listen to the rest of the series and so I'm going to break it out into more chunks or series so that uh, people can bounce around what they need and not have to sit through or fast forward up to the seven or eight minute mark to get what they want. They're, I'm going to break it down and make it as consumable and as applicable as possible. I'm not going to be theoretical. I want to refer to things that are available online for free or the more popular pop publications. And I'd like to actually introduce people to some of the publications I read regularly or the e-newsletters I read regularly. Um, I want people to make, I want safety to be easier and more, cons in, more consumable by the masses, basically. Now, do you feel as you're actually having this conversation that some of us, what we'll say, quote unquote, that are out there that are considered gurus have made it a little bit more difficult for, I'll say, the layman to understand some of the terminology because I'll tell you I have there's a particular safety show that I listen to but I at sometimes when I'm listening to it I go I have no idea what this guy said and it's a really good podcast but I go I'm not sure if I'm following along well that's very common and I, what I learned through my time as a professor is uh, there's something called what I call the mountain climber syndrome in which somebody who is experienced somebody who's climbed the mountain looks down at the people down at the foot of the mountain and say just come on up do this, this, and that, you'll be up here. I'm up here. It's no problem. I've got a great view. They don't have that same view. They don't have that same experience. So what I've taught myself is to reflect and go back to when I knew nothing. And what what intimidated me? What, what, assumption, what false assumptions did I make? And what I'm going to try to do is help people get past those. You know, we're going to go back to the very basics, the very easy of what should be done versus what I think is out there right now. And I, I've reviewed people's safety programs before. You know, they contact me. Is this right? No, it's not even close. Where did you come up with this? Well, I went to a presentation and they said, you know, talk about this and that. No, you have to customize it to where you work. So let's talk about the methods you can use to understand what the hazards or the issues are. And we build it from there. But OSHA says I need this program. Only if you have an exposure to that program. We go back to the general duty clause, and I call that my prime directive, the 5A1. And that's what I want to do is build it from that. And as the podcast grows in size, of course, the topics will get more advanced, but I'm going to try and make the more advanced topics more understandable and applicable at the lower level because in many ways, if you boil it down, safety is a process. 
and not a body of knowledge. Now, do you look at this as this going to be like how some podcast shows are where they're like season based? So let's say, for instance, the first three months are more along these terms and then you move forward into doing something different or how are you looking at it? Because there's so many different options that are out there. I'll tell you, I was just recently at a, at a podcast event that was called podcast movement. And they were talking about that the, there's about an average of 4,000, yes, 4,000 episodes that come out a week of brand new podcasts. And I'm just talking of new podcasts, not anything that's already been established. So what are you going to have as your, I guess your niche in regards to when people are actually looking at it? Well, I've been studying the new Inchbo framework, which is that international standard. And we've been actually using that as a foundation for developing a self-assessment tool within ASSP so that our members can self-assess where they are on the pathway from practitioner to professional. I'm going to refer to that and use that as sort of a basis so that people who are out practicing part-time or just got into the field um, can gain some confidence in what they're doing, understand what that means, and then move forward. Versus, hey, here's a bunch of stuff that works. You figure it out. That doesn't work. <laughs> we have to understand it from their beginner perspective. And probably it's not their primary job. And so what can they do in their limited discretionary time to focus on safety? What are the little things that can be done? Little successes turn into bigger successes. That's the way I see it. And so I'm just going to try to make it more connected to the things you can do every day and make things easier. Okay. Now, of course, I'm going to put you on the spot. What's the date? What timeline are you shooting for to actually have this out? Oh, yeah, this is at the 8 minute and 44 second mark that I'm already asking this question. Well, I hope that my department chair isn't listening because <laughs> I need to get my courses prepped for fall, of course. But as we move our undergraduate content online and we're moving towards an online bachelor's degree, I'm going to be creating my own content that mimics that. And so, and again, I've been teaching students in HR and in business management the, the basics of practicing safety so they can practice within the context of HR, of managing a business. I'm going to bring that same thing to the masses. And so when is it going to start coming out? I'm hoping in two weeks. I'm going to have my first broadcast and then weekly or bi-weekly, depending on how it goes and how I can fit it in along with developing the curriculum. And maybe my students, my undergrads, they may actually start just listening to the podcast because <laughs> it'll probably show them some shortcuts on the quizzes they have to take at the end of that week. But I really would like to, what I want to do is connect with the listeners, if I have any. It may just be you and I, that's it. But if people are, are listening to it and they're understanding it and they can apply it, I want to hear from them. And if it turns into a, you know, that I have to start hosting live events, live office hours, if you will, I'll do that. Um, I just helped a graduate student a few weeks ago in a summer class I was teaching. I analyzed three years of loss run data, which is about 1,400 data points, 1,400 claims in under an hour and a half. And so I'm going to be, I'm actually going to post that on my YouTube channel I did an interview with him beforehand, and then I'm going to demonstrate how I did the analysis and then his responses at the end. And he was blown away by what's really going on versus what he thought was occurring at his workplace. Well, that's, I, I mean, you've mentioned 1,400 data points in less than an hour and a half. Of course, there's going to be questions on how you're able to do that. And I'm going to demonstrate that. Is there some trade secrets that you can start yes. kind of sprinkling us with right now? I love Microsoft Excel because of its spatial compatibilities. I've got some techniques I use. I, I already have a seven 
video series on my YouTube channel. It's too much to watch, three hours altogether. I'm going to condense it down and speed through some of the more minutiae, although I tell jokes while I'm doing that, <laughs> so my students think it's funny. Uh, but I'm going to start condensing those down and creating those because I'm going to start doing that as a presentation at conferences. Starting actually at the end of September, I'm going to do my first one, but I'm going to create videos around it so that you don't have to attend the conference to hear from me. Or after the conference, you can refer to my YouTube channel and you can actually then perform it on your own or contact me and I'll do it in an hour and a half and just buy me a beer. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, I think it's interesting on the, the approach that you're taking because I'll tell you, I actually get to interact quite a bit with some people inside of the space and they don't want their their stuff out there, especially for free. It's one of those things where I'm not going to put my conference speech. I'll put a part of my conference speech, but I'm not putting the whole thing out there because I want to give you the appetizer and want you to come for the entree. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Of course, people need to make money. Don't get me wrong. So I think it's interesting that you're taking a different approach where you're saying here it's open to everyone. And the reason for that is because my, my primary mentor in graduate school, he had a great saying, and I live by this, practice does not make perfect perfect practice makes perfect and if you look at the works of like david hume you in order to improve you need a mentor or a coach they're giving you feedback sure people can try this stuff on their own but even the students in my class need to ref, you know need to contact me for clarification or correction on things and so i'm not giving away anything i'm just sharing some of my knowledge and techniques but odds are if it, like you had said, if money needed made or whatever, I can still be contacted because I'm a consultant and I can do that kind of stuff. But I'm not also going to be charging an arm and a leg because I don't have this beautiful building front that I'm paying for. <laughs> Just got to, you know, keep shoes on my kids' feet. <laughs> well, I mean, I find it interesting because you start taking a look at to a lot of these people that are doing consulting and nothing against it. But I'm talking about the ones in particular that say, OK, I'm going to give the information away for free. But it doesn't describe. I mean, it describes on how a portion can be done, but it doesn't go into the direct detail that somebody might need of, okay, I read a book, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I understand exactly what's going on. So this will be something like a side benefit that you can offer to people? Right. And I mean, it's in many ways, it may be something like entertainment. Uh, and I see younger generations doing that. My kids have uh, YouTubers that they love to follow. And if people are willing to invest the time into listening or watching videos, that's their investment. Now, if they want to actually take it to a, a, an applied level or to have something evaluated, well, that might be something I'm there for or another consultant is there for. I enjoy practicing safety, and this is just going to be a new outlet for me. So I think it's funny that you mentioned the YouTube aspect because my, my daughter actually watches something that's called film theory, and I swear that kid that actually does that, it's more science-based than actually what the movie's about. So I think it's interesting on some of the approaches that they're taking. So you mentioned YouTube and you're mentioning podcasts and the consulting. So are you going to do it more of a video podcast? Is that what you're looking on doing? Or do you think it's going to be a combination of both or two separate things? Because I'm so good looking, as you can tell. <laughs> I tell people I have a face for radio, so that's why I do this. Um, because I've got the setup at home, I'm, I think I'm going to do it simultaneously or on certain subjects. But I think if, if, if time is the issue, I'll just quick do a podcast instead. Um, but because I'm a professor, you know, I'm addicted to PowerPoint, unfortunately. And I like to show things, you know. I may as well be from Missouri, the show me state, right? <laughs> but it, so I'll see how it goes. And maybe maybe the, maybe the if we have more than two listeners, they'll let me know what they prefer. And then I can go that way. But I am more comfortable with talking over a PowerPoint or being in the corner. Or I've got green screens that I can get used to as well. And I can do like a weatherman thing depending on 
what the topic is. Well, you could also tell your students that you're going to give away part of the actual quizzes and tests right on the podcast, but they have to have proof that they actually did it. <laughs> What's interesting is, and my students, they know this, is that um, I don't have exams anymore. We do study sheets, and they bring it to class, and we talk about it. I'd rather have a student not have to cram the night before an exam. I want them to come in and leave the exam period knowing what the answers are. And so we self-grade. And the quizzes I do every week are just based on the readings I assign. And that's just a motivation for them to read it. That I, I don't like to exam or quiz students that way. I want them to demonstrate. And so those are the types of things I grade. Um, so when it comes to people doing watching podcasts or watching YouTube videos, um, you know, they can share certain aspects of it with me and I can guide them or give them a step more. But if it becomes more involved or they just feel it's up over their head, well, I'm there for them as well. So just in case for some of the people that might have not heard the actual episode where you were on originally, where you were talking about your teaching methods, and I'm particularly talking about where you use current magazines, internet stories and all that. Can you tell some of the people on how your teaching methods actually work? Right. I mean, I, I, and I've actually heard this on um, other podcasts or things I've watched that the current student mindset is that why are you making me read a textbook or pay for a textbook when I can just Google it? Well, I like to use more current information. And so when there's a news story, when there's an article published in professional safety or occupational safety or in health or whatever it might be, I bring it to the class right away. And it's what's interesting, I think students like this, is that this summer we had several discussions going on and I would bring up a point and not an hour later I would see a news story or something published or somebody had a video that was just released that went to that particular topic. And to share that with the students, it, it blew their minds because, I mean, Used to, you know, you go to class, oh, I'm going to read this book. It was written 20 years ago. I wonder how current <laughs> it is. These students were talking about topics, and here I'm demonstrating through either a news event or something that's published or something, a video somebody just had, and it speaks directly to it. So they know they're getting cutting-edge information, and it gets them really excited. And then because of that, I have students bringing things to me. And I told my students this summer, I think I learned more from you than I taught you. Because they got so excited and forced me to really think about what I'm talking about and had me actually reflect on such a deep level that I'm going to actually change some of the curriculum based on some of the things they told me. So now when you start off your season of actually when you're starting the semester and all of a sudden something changes in that method, how far does that throw your whole coursework or curriculum off? in regards of, okay, all of a sudden they got excited about something else. So all of a sudden you're four weeks in, they're excited about you mentioned X or they brought X. How does that change everything going forward? Especially if you've already had it written out. I'm not talking about this semester in particular, just throwing that out there. <laughs> What's interesting, and I, I'm not accusing any students of this, but they tend to see only a few days in advance. So I can change a syllabus and in the next class, say, here's the updated syllabus. <laughs> and I change due dates. You know, I, I like to remain flexible and adaptable and, and I provide that same uh, opportunity to my students. If something comes up in their life, where they have to step away for a week or something's going on, I will afford them that. I understand that my class isn't the most important thing in the world. And they then extend that same appreciation to me or they afford me that same luxury. Hold on, I've never heard a professor say that. Can you repeat that one more time? <laughs> my class is not, not the most important thing in the world. I, I want students to get out of my classroom. I design my classes to prepare them 
to be successful in their internship so they can graduate and then go on to work. So I'm not saying, let's get through this book, or hey, let's get through this, these lessons that who knows where they came from or where they've been validated. I'm preparing you based on what the people who have hired you, hired people like you before wanted. That's why I'm putting you through this. And if you meet these standards, I will be your biggest cheerleader. You know, and then when they get out and get a job, they come back and thank me. And that's, that's what my job is all about. That's why I love it so much. Well, it's interesting because you get direct access to them. And you, then, of course, dealing with people that are inside of the sector already, and they tell you what they're looking for. So as you see this, are we doing as safety professionals something incorrect on how we're actually moving forward? So are we not bringing the information to the masses the way that it should be, the way that millennials want? Or do you feel like it should be targeted to different segments depending on what you're going after? It's interesting that you bring that up. One thing that I did this summer with my students is I realized that everybody is on their own path and you can't fast track certain experiences. They almost need to learn through the Socratic method, something I'm actually teaching this semester that this is what you think. All right, let's try it or let's, you know, let's apply it to this concept. Does it work? Oh, it doesn't? Okay, well, let's go back and talk about it again. Sometimes you have to be broken down before you can rebuild correctly. Um, now, there are certain opportunities for learning in our field that don't allow for the breakdown and don't allow for the dissenting voice or the dissenting concept to enter the discussion. That's wrong. I think we need to seek that out. I think we need to be constantly vigilant that maybe we don't know all that we currently know, but we should have basic assumptions or principles by which we operate. If I can instill that in my students, then I'm confident that they can go and practice competently. So as you say that, and you know that there's different dissertations that are out there and that are available for people that are coming up in the profession, do you feel that that puts some kind of limitation on us to some extent? Because we expect people that, have, that are affiliated with an association to be at X level. And I know that I'm asking you this in a very weird, strange format, especially because the reason that you're here. So don't, don't, take it the, don't take it the wrong way. But I'm just trying to make sure that I understand on, you know, how are we supposed to approach it? Because I feel that some of the people that are out there that are have you know that are in safety groups they feel that they have to have certain letters behind their name to be okay and that makes them a safety person and that's how they feel about it but i don't think that that's always the correct method well even today in the discussion um and i can't talk about anything that happened in the room where oh, no, 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 where you know the blood oath to silence <laughs> but there are i'll let people know that there are discussions within the group that are we doing the right thing you know is, is this the right message and people share stories from you know i spoke to these people and why don't they go to say you know the national safety council conference or why don't they go to assp because they don't feel they belong to that crowd and that's that's saddening you know this this is where they would gain more knowledge more networking opportunities develop their abilities to become better in their profession but they're afraid and we got to get over that um and i know that there are things that i used to teach but now that the papers have been written and work has been done, I had to evolve my technique. And I think anybody who's a true scientist realizes that. We, we share what we know based on current knowledge. But as that, as that information changes, we have to evolve as well. And I hope everybody understands that. Again, I don't think safety is a body of knowledge. I think it's a technique. That technique improves as we learn more about our practice and our craft. 
you know you're going to scare some people by saying it that way because some people believe that there that there is systems in place there's philosophies in place on how safety is done if it's a, is it a behavior is it a philosophy and i mean we can that's almost like having that conversation are you a chevy or a ford guy or are you a democrat or a republican believe me that's not the conversation we're that i'm trying to have but some people believe that there's only one clear way of doing this and that's it. And I don't agree with it. I think there's pieces that you can grab from a little bit of everything and kind of move forward. But when you start having those conversations and we'll say behind closed doors, how difficult is it for some of the people that have been seasoned veterans to accept that? Well, it depends on who they are and whether what they're sharing is their bread and butter and how they, you know, and I've seen professional, I don't want to name names, but oh, I've seen people change their philosophies, change the, uh, the resources and services that they provide to customers. I've seen that change over time. I think anybody who's been in it for 20 years is going to see that change. Or we hear of the new shiny way, you know, it was it was total quality management, and then it was something else, and then it was lean, and then it was Six Sigma. Everybody's given it a new name. There are certain principles that remain the same, but what they've done is they repackaged it so people from different perspectives can apply it successfully at work. That's what we're doing in safety, too. We're still rediscovering it. Um, there are still people out there who think, well, if I'm OSHA compliant, nobody will get hurt. We know that's not true, but in their reality, that's the way it is. And we're, again, we walk along a path. And as we go along that path, we change our perspective. Um, I've noticed it just in my short time of being a professor. I can see the younger professors go through a semester or a year where they are very frustrated. And I know why. Because they put so much heart into the design of their course, they expect at the end of the semester, during the final exam or final project, they'll be rewarded for you know giving themselves to the students, and they don't get it. And so they get really upset, and they get uh, angry. And then they start treating the students differently because of that mindset. You have to see past it. you got to see it from the student's perspective. You have to sell them on the importance of learning this stuff. And when you do that, and then you use more leading indicators of learning, they perform better. And the students who don't perform to expectation, I'm trying to be really yeah, politically correct here, that um, they own it. And that's, that's what it should be. A student should not be a consumer. A consumer should be someone who is developing their own learning style and own what the outcomes are. Does that kind of clarify? Well, that clarifies it, but I also think that there's also sometimes some confusion on where people are get hung up on methodologies, where they're like, hey, I'm more interested in 2.0 because this is the new and, and up and coming and it's not really that important and I don't I don't want to sit here and say hey we're safety evangelists but sometimes it comes across where people are just trying to change just certain in small aspects before they move forward and I just sometimes wonder do we get hung up on that and it, you get to see a lot of it because you have so many different students that come your way well of course they do and but that's human nature you know nobody nobody clings on to something on purpose they do it because it's comfortable you know, oh, I saw it work once. Uh, one thing I was, one analogy I was thinking of when you were talking before is like the uh, the diet industry. Why is that a billion dollar industry? Because for some people, a keto diet works. For others, the zone works. For the other, I just take this pill and it works. It doesn't work for everybody. And I think safety has to be earned. If effective safety has to be earned within the organization but for which it's going to be used. And if people really realize that, that you know what? 
the, the most popular safety approach, the brand new one, may not work where I am because our company isn't in that place. It isn't in that uh, same context of what it works for everybody else. And so that's where I, in my podcast, I want to get back to the very basics. What can you do to get to the point where maybe you could consider these more advanced management system approaches or certifications or this whatever it is? Um, you have to earn it. You have to work through it. You know, you want to lose weight, you got to get up and go to the gym. You got to skip some of those desserts. You know, there, there's a start to it, but once you get into it, you advance your technique. And I think some people bought into too, too advanced of a technique too fast. And when it didn't work as well, um, they questioned whether the technique was effective. And it wasn't the technique. They weren't in the right context to use it. Now, what you're saying that, do you believe that there's certain systems that are actually out there that can be built off on? Because some people say, hey, no, if I walk in here, you have a behavior-based safety. I'm going to walk in with hop. Hop is the only way that you can go, and you have to ditch it. Or do you think that you can teach it in a way where they can build off whatever they have pre-existing? And that sounds almost like, an, like somebody's sick. That's not what I mean there. Right. Well, here's the thing. What's the default for most early safety people? Blame the worker and try to keep things off of the 300 log. If that's where you are, that's an infantile approach. That's, that's, a, that's not going to work. It's not effective. But eventually what you find is, well, if I don't blame the worker and I try and find what is the root cause or a cause that's actually going to prevent it from happening again, and I don't really care whether it gets on the 300 log or not because i got to see how much it costs on my loss run report. Well, you're advancing yourself. The, the, the program is maturing, you're maturing. Once you get to the point where it's like, that stuff, that negative stuff that happens, we just, we can't blame people. It's a, it's a failure of a system that allowed somebody to get put in the situation to be exposed to something, somebody got hurt or disaster or whatever. We can now use these advanced systems to possibly either detect or track and then prevent things from happening. And so these, these new fangled things or these advanced behavioral things um, are great, but you have to work up to it. And, I would like to make, make it <laughs> more accessible to the masses if they understand that there is a pathway. You have to, you know, you got to beat Glass Joe before you fight Bald Bull, okay? If you if I can refer to a punch-up. Oh, yes. Love Mike that Tyson game. punch-up, for sure. Right. If you're going to beat Soda Popzinski, then you can, you know, fight the, the hurricane. Um, it's <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, just because we're going to forget this later on when yeah. we get much older. If this was the Rated R Safety Show, I would definitely tell you something entirely different about what just occurred there. But we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, we're both talking. We're both like really distracted. I'm sorry. What I just said, five, the last five minutes didn't make any sense. There's something else going on, everybody. There's an oh. environmental distractor that uh, kind of. Oh, Lord. Sorry about <laughs> where that. Where were we? <laughs> Let's re-edit that whole part. Oh, no. We're gonna, we definitely have to leave it in and be like, hey, what's going on? So, anyways, so do you have a name for the podcast? I don't. I mean, the, the business name is EHS Essentials, but and I think that's what I'm going to go with because I think it really covers everything. Because I And people go, oh, it's, it's going to be more about safety, but I believe the same techniques I'm going to be talking about could apply to uh, evaluating health-related issues or... The same assessment techniques I'll build up to could relate to the environmental issues because that's really, I mean, my original schooling was environmental engineering. I still love it, but I feel that that's actually more finite than the more infinite possibilities of the safety and health. And so that's why I'm going to dwell in that 
area, that region. Okay, so you're telling me two weeks from now. Yes. So by no later, and I'm gonna be I'm gonna be nice then. No later than the 15th of September, we should have something on. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Anything else you would like to share with our lovely group here? <laughs> no, I, 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 you know what I'll say? If, you know, if people are listening to this and like, who is this guy? He's really <laughs> weird. Uh, give me a chance. Listen to a few episodes and let me know what you're thinking. Uh, I'm not going to be try to be controversial. I'm just going to say the way it is. But I want to speak to the people from where they are. And so if there are some HR people or foremen or whatever it might be that are like, I need help, but I don't have the time to go to a conference. I don't have the time and the money to bring in a, con- bring in a consultant to help me out. Give me a try. Let's see where we can go with this. And as you develop, I can help mentor you or guide you to the next level. And so it's going to be, you know, I hope everybody understands that. It's, it's a growth is what it is. I don't agree with people who do the evolutionary change you know that it's going to take time and you earn it it isn't given to you you don't buy it and so that's what i hope people understand that it's not going to be today or tomorrow it's going to take some time but over time you'll appreciate understand better where you are and you know if we if we save injuries we save lives we save company money that's fantastic i would love it if people would share that with us well todd or dr lucine to say it properly i appreciate you coming on to safety fm Thank you. (laughs) The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. So do you feel like you're missing out on what everyone is starting to do now, that live streaming thing, and you don't know where to start or what to do? I have the resource and the information to provide to you in regards on how you can stream onto 40 social media platforms all at one time. Yes, that's 44-0 social media platforms all at one time. All you'll need to do is go to safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's O-N-E. So just in case. And you'll be able to start live streaming just like you're hearing people starting to do right now up to 40 social media platforms.